From the School of Broadcast and Cinematic Arts at Central Michigan University, welcome to Depth of Field, a podcast highlighting the careers, experiences, and accomplishments of our broadcast and cinematic arts graduates. I'm your host, Patty Williamson. Join me as I chat with media pros who reflect on their time at CMU, their lives and careers after graduation. Along the way, they'll share advice they have for anyone looking to work in a wide variety of media fields. And that's why we call it Depth of Field. Joining me today on Depth of Field is Coco McAboy, a 2013 graduate of our School of Broadcast and Cinematic Arts at CMU. She's now a reporter at Fox 11 in Los Angeles. Hey, Coco, thanks for joining us today. Hello, thanks so much for having me. It's really great to be able to catch up with you. It's been a while. It has. Like I told you, I was so excited when I saw the Facebook message. It's just always nice to reconnect and check in with people. It's been exciting to watch your career trajectory and see that you're in L.A. now in a huge market doing what you love to do. Um, But I think just to kind of start the interview, we might go back to the beginning and talk a little bit about where did you grow up? Great. So I grew up in the Metro Detroit area in both Southfield and Novi. I went to Novi High School and they did have a program for people who wanted to do broadcast and cinematic arts. And so I dabbled in that a little bit, but ever since I was five years old, I knew I wanted to be a news reporter. So I was always really set on that path. And, um, After graduating from Novi High, I knew I wanted to go to Central Michigan University because I heard great things about the broadcast and cinematic arts program. So I just felt like it would be the perfect fit for me. And when you got to CMU, what are some of your memories of what it was like to be in school, working on a degree in broadcast and cinematic arts and looking towards your future working in TV news? I just remember that there were some times that were tough trying to juggle classes and figure out, okay, I need to get internships and figure out how I'm going to start my career. But CMU was really the perfect school when it came to guiding me through that because I just felt like it was a school that had all of the classes in place that taught you what you needed to know in order to start your career. So for me, I was one of those students that was very focused on, okay, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And so I I did three internships during my time at CMU. And then I also ended up working for WCMU, Public Radio. And that was just a great job to be, you know, a radio reporter. And then my last semester of college at CMU, I started working for Wood TV in Grand Rapids on the weekends. So it was a lot of juggling, but I was so set on starting my career that, that I knew that I had to do these things in order to get to where I wanted to go. I remember how exceptionally focused you were when you were in school. It's unusual for students to do three internships and do two basically professional jobs on the side while they're in school. Can you talk a little bit about your experiences doing the internships? Yes. So my first internship was in Detroit at the Fox station in Detroit. And 
the way I got that was I looked up the website and started seeing, you know, who were the managing editors, who was the news director, and just sent out an email blast along with, of course, on applying online and just hoping that something would stick. And it did. And I was really, really excited to start my internship there. And they had different departments you could work in. I ended up choosing the health department and it was the best decision I ever made because I met my mentor through that department who is truly family to me. And she is in Los Angeles too, so that's another story. But it was just the best type of setup because following that internship, gaining a mentor from it, I was able to figure out what do I need to do next to get that next internship? And then that third internship. But like I mentioned, it was it was hard at times trying to juggle classes, that job, then another job. And on top of that, I was a multicultural advisor. So there, were, there was a lot of juggling, but I wouldn't trade it for the world at all. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to be a multicultural advisor at CMU? That was probably the most rewarding experience I had at CMU because even the courses that you take to undergo that process and all the instruction from the you know people who were in charge of those programs you just learn so much about the world and different cultures and that was just something that really opened my eyes because there's things that you don't think about when it's just you and, and your community you don't necessarily know about how other people live what other people go through and being a multicultural advisor was rewarding because you also have students that come to you that ask for advice that tell you about their lives. And it's one of those things that I realized it connected to what I do now, because you are talking to people, you're hearing about their life stories, their vulnerable moments, and you're trying to guide them through it. And in a way, that's what reporting is, because you interview people at their most vulnerable moments oftentimes, and you're trying to navigate a way to ask questions and not be insensitive and try to understand where they're coming from. I think that's an interesting point, and it brings me to ask a little bit more about those experiences that you had in college. Are you able to take that knowledge that you gained maybe not just from broadcast and cinematic arts, but from the holistic experience of CMU and put that into your work now? Yes, because at CMU, like I said, well, first I started as a resident assistant, an RA. And then I realized that I wanted to be a multicultural advisor because I just thought as a, as a person of color myself, as a black woman, I thought it was important to have that role in the halls and to serve as a resource, someone who's an RA, but someone who can also talk to you about more deep and personal things that you might be going through. And there are just so many conversations that I haven't forgotten with students that come to you. And I am able to remember those moments and it does help me with my career now. For example, last year, um, you know, March of 2020, May of 2020, actually, covering the Black Lives Matter protests, just remembering a lot of those conversations that you had with people who were students at the time and hearing some of those same 
memories that people had because out here there were a lot of people that age, college age, protesting. And so it's just the similarities that you remember and how you were able to navigate those conversations and trying to navigate them all over again. I, I just, I'm a strong believer in college, of course, prepares you for your career, but I think it also prepares you for life. You're able to meet all kinds of different people and grasp a concept of how people live. And I think it's important, especially with reporting too. And would you say that with reporting, relationship building is a key component of that job? Absolutely. It's a very key component because people have to be able to trust that you're going to listen to what they're saying and report it in a way that they intended it to be reported as. You know, no one will talk to you if you come off as someone who's going to just take their story and run with it and not use their words adequately. For example, you know, cutting their sound bites up in a way that makes the story something totally different than what they agreed to. It's, it is all relationship building and forming a bond with people to make them comfortable enough to talk to you because everyone knows it's hard to talk to people, especially about things that you're struggling with, unless you feel like you can trust them to a certain extent. As you were getting ready to graduate, so you'd been working at WCMU, public radio, and now you're working in Grand Rapids doing television. How was that sort of transitional experience moving from college life into, I guess, quote unquote, the real world of Grand Rapids television, which is a good size market to really sort of be making your start in the business? What was that like? That was... A whirlwind is probably the best way to describe it. I was elated to get a job at Wood TV in Grand Rapids. And I just felt like I had to prove myself. I had to show my worth and that I could be a part of the team and an asset to the team. And that was challenging at times because you have to take what you've learned in college and at internships and try to apply them but you do realize that it's nothing like being on the job. And so when you're on the job, you're learning every single day. And that's why I always praise Wood TV. My colleagues there, um, the majority of them were all veteran, all veteran journalists. And they really did everything they could to help me. And they listened to me and I would shadow them on my off days to try to learn whatever I could learn. And it was just really the best experience. I can't even put it into words sometimes of how grateful I am for that experience because it is challenging working and doing classes and driving an hour and a half early in the morning, you know, when it's snowing outside sometimes to try to get to work <laughs> and report and report on air when I was doing radio is obviously totally different too. You have to think about your appearance. And I have a very vivid memory of the first time that I went on air at Wood TV and I was actually shaking on air and you could see me shaking. I was so nervous because I was like, this is it. I have to prove myself and I'm on TV and people can see me. And um, it was, yeah, it, it's funny to look back on. 
Well, I think making that move to TV, there is added scrutiny from the public as well. Have you found that? I mean, I'm guessing all the stories that I hear, especially from women who are on air in television, uh, that you get a lot of buzz and discussion about what you were wearing, what your hair is like, all of those sorts of things. Have you found that during your career? Yes, I've definitely found that. People watch the news for information, but they also watch to see what someone looks like, what someone's wearing. And people do feel like they have a right to send you a message saying, you know, I either liked your outfit or, oh, maybe you should try something different. So it's one of those interesting things of trying to, especially when you're first starting, trying to find your voice, find your style, but also trying to find out how you want to present yourself on television. And that depends on each market as well, because there are some markets that are more conservative and so you need to wear blazers or, and then there are other markets like LA, for example, where you rarely see anyone in a blazer. Most people are wearing sleeveless dresses or something to that nature. So it's just, it's very interesting navigating TV news, but I have to say that I think, um, and I probably need to knock on wood, I've been fortunate so far to not have a plethora of experiences where I felt like people were just, you know, constantly sending condescending messages. I can only count those on one hand, and I feel fortunate so far that that's the case. So you spent some time in Grand Rapids before you made the transition to Detroit, which being really the area where you grew up and a big market. How did that come about? So I spent three years in Grand Rapids. And after that third year, I knew I wanted to try something new and different. And Detroit had an opening for a reporter, but it was an interesting position too. I was talking to the news director there and it was a position they had tried in the past. It was called a reporter trainee. And what it was, was it was a year contract, full-time, where the first couple of months you shadow the reporters and you kind of are able to ease into the Detroit market, which is really important depending on which market you start in to then just dive right into a market like Detroit. And so that was a great opportunity. And then after five months of doing that position, I ended up transitioning to a permanent general assignment news reporter. And that was great because there is pressure of like, okay, it's a year contract. Hopefully I make it through the year and they want to resign me. But Detroit is definitely a challenging market emotionally and, and emotionally because of the type of stories that you tell. A lot of times Detroit is a market that is like the, the reporters are always describe it as it's, it's just more gritty. You cover a lot of, of crime and you cover a lot of just people's worst moments. And so there's a lot of tears and it's hard to not take that home with you and be thinking about it constantly. So that's a challenge. And then also the speed of it, because they do expect you to turn stories in a very quick amount of time. And they do two stories per day. And one might be in one community and the second story is maybe an hour away and you've got to then finish your first story and then drive to the other story and start that one fresh and be ready to go at five o'clock. So, 
but I also wouldn't trade that opportunity because I feel like it prepared me for another market as well, because it's, you learn so many skills of how to write efficiently, how to write, write quickly, but also accurately too. So it's definitely an interesting experience Detroit was. As a general assignment reporter, can you tell us a little bit for folks that aren't really familiar with that term, what exactly does that mean? So general assignment reporter means that you can be sent to whatever story of the day. So it can be a sports related story. It can be a political story. It can be crime. It can be development. It's really whatever is going on that day you can be sent to, which usually in Detroit, that meant breaking news. There's always breaking news in Detroit. So that's also interesting because it versus like a specialty reporter, like an investigative reporter or a sports reporter or a consumer reporter, when you're doing general assignment, you're doing it all. And I do, I, not everyone likes that, but for me, I, I do think that's fun because it changes the day for you. You never know what you're going to do from day to day. So it never gets boring. Are there stories that you still think about from your time in Detroit or Grand Rapids uh, that you still sort of carry with you? Yes, there are stories in both Grand Rapids and Detroit that I think I'll just never be able to shake. In Grand Rapids specifically, it was the, well, there were two stories. The first story in Grand Rapids, I would say, happened in the Muskegon area. And it was my first time covering um, a murder and going to that scene there. And it was in um, the Muskegon area and it was a late night. Um, people were at a party and then multiple people were shot and killed. And going there and family members showing up and just and it's weird, like, it's like I get emotional still thinking about it, just collapsing on the ground. It's just, I'll never forget their pain and talking to them. And, and for me too, it's always the courage that it takes to talk to someone in a tragedy like that. And especially, I think I remember that scene the most because police hadn't really arrived, which means you don't have the crime scene tape. You don't have the tarps over people's remains. So you just have family members, like I said, just collapsing and because you're seeing your loved one on the ground lifeless. I'll never shake that. And in Detroit, it's the same thing. It's going to people's houses and door knocking after that you know they've just lost a loved one, especially the child deaths are always just different. And I'm, <laughs> I'm known as the reporter who will cry with you in an interview. That's just me. Because when I see people in pain, I've always been that way. I just, I can't help but cry with them. And I think it's one of those things that you just, you don't forget that. You don't shake that. And I think that that's one thing. Whenever people ask me like, oh, what's one thing that you've learned on the job that you didn't necessarily learn in school? It's that. It's the mental and emotional toll that does come with being a journalist and the stories you hear from people that will just play in your head forever. You'll never forget them. And that you still have connections with people. It's just, it's really miraculous, um, the bravery it takes to tell someone about your worst day. I think it's important for people to hear that because I think a lot of times people think, well, 
you're on TV, it's just a glamorous job. It's all being in front of the public and putting on a face and telling a story. But I think you need to have that human connection. If you don't have that emotional sort of response to tragedy, then you're not going to be a good reporter or a good anchor, really, a, a good media professional. That's that's right. And I remember one of the veteran journalists at Wood TV in Grand Rapids told me that. He said, if there's ever a time where you don't have some type of emotional response to someone crying about whatever it is they're crying about, he's like, it's probably time to get out of the business then because you've grown just too accustomed to this and you no longer care. And I think that's something that's really big in reporting is you have to care or you should at least care because I think that's what will make you tell a better story is if you are able to connect with someone and you truly care about them. Because then when you're writing that story, you're going to be thinking about okay, such and such said this, I want to make sure that gets across. You care about them. Um, and I think that that's really, really important. While you're working in Detroit, and I guess in any of the markets that you've been working in so far, how much support do you have in terms of, do you have a photojournalist with you? Are you doing it all yourself? And how does that change perhaps from market to market? In Grand Rapids, the majority of the time you did have a photographer with you, but there were some times like if there were sick calls or um, just scheduling problems that you would have to take the, the MMJ camera and shoot a story by yourself. And that's usually like a smaller camera versus like the really big cameras. And in Detroit, I have always had a photographer with me and here in LA, I have a photographer with me too. And I've always been a big proponent of the team. I just think that when you're working alone, it's, it is more difficult. Everything's all on you. And I have met people who like that, who do like being in control of the complete process. But for me, I love working with the team. I love that input from the photographer. And I can say, well, what do you think of this line? Or how do you think about, you know, maybe we use this shot versus that shot. And I think that having that collaboration just in my opinion, makes the story that much better. Because in my opinion, two heads are better than one. And even there have been times where I think safety is a huge aspect of that, specifically in the environment we're in now. <laughs> I, I could tell you a story that I just had last night, an interaction I just had last night where if I didn't have the photographer with me, I would have been very afraid. It's just having someone there to watch your back as well. I think that that's very important because people see a camera and they want to walk up to you. They want to ask you questions. Sometimes they want to confront you and they're not happy with the news media. And if you're by yourself, that can be very dangerous. Can you tell us what happened last night? Yes. <laughs> so we were doing a story about rising um, food prices. So we were just in a grocery store parking lot and going live um, for the 10 o'clock show. And right before our live shot, we're like two minutes or so away from our live hit and a man walks up to us and he was a little hostile, but he wasn't as hostile as he eventually got. 
So he says, you know, what's the story about? And we say, oh, you know, it's about um, the rising food prices. And, uh, you know, in my ear, the producers are like, hey, you're coming up, you're coming up. But it's for me, it's always important to make sure you do try to address that person so that you can maybe get them to think about leaving before you go live on air versus someone <laughs> trying to talk as you're trying to talk. So I answered his question. He said, okay, I'm going to go on the app now and watch the story because he said, are you going live soon? And I just purposely said, oh, we're a few minutes away, even though they're in my ear, like 30 seconds. <laughs> so then he walks away and we do our, our live report. We make it through. We're packing up our stuff ready to go. And he comes back and he says, I missed your report. And we said, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, you can go to the website after and um, check it out. And he said, so, you know, what was your story about? And I said, well, just about the rising food prices. He said, who did you talk to? I said, we talked to shoppers. And he was like, what did they say? He said, they said it's putting a strain on their wallet. And he said, so no one addressed the why. And I said, I'm not sure where you're getting at. And he voiced that he was a Trump supporter and said, that this is all Biden's fault. And then at that point, the photographer, he was so brave. He stepped in between us two and addressed him and said, hey, we're just doing our job. You know, we're just trying to go home. And the guy got really hostile and was saying, you're fake news, you're all frauds. And he kept getting closer and closer to the photographer. So the photographer is trying to pull back and he's yelling at the top of his lungs. And then another woman comes and she's recording it. And <laughs> it's just one of those things where, you know, and then the photographer was like, you know, Coco, just get in your car and leave. And for me, I'm like, well, I'm not going to leave you behind. I'm going to get in my car, but I'm waiting for you to leave too, to make sure that you're safe. And, you know, on the way on our, cause now we ride separately for COVID purposes, but on the ride home, we were talking to each other and saying how we're grateful each of us was there for that because you just don't know what can happen. And in a dark parking lot, you know, the store had closed by then. Fortunately, that woman did walk up and she was recording, but that's not always the case. And without having someone there with you, I just feel like things can go wrong very quickly. And that happens a lot, you know, especially now in recent years, there's a lot of your fake news, your fraud, and that's something that you have to navigate as well. I was just going to ask about that. How has your job changed in the last several years where we do hear more about people being suspicious of journalists and thinking that journalists are somehow, quote unquote, the enemy or talking about mainstream media in a very negative way. How do you handle that? It's difficult. And it always comes, in my opinion, at the most random time. Like a story about food prices. I just wouldn't expect that to set someone off, but you never know. And it's one of those things that you are always aware that for one, people are watching you because there are a lot of times when you're going live that people will stand next to you, very close to you, because they want to hear what you're going to say. Because people automatically, I would say in the past probably three or four years, have been ultra aware of the news. And that's good and bad. I think it's a great thing that people want to hold people accountable. That's what the news does too. We, everyone wants people to be accountable. But at a certain time, it gets dangerous because there are so many different outlets for news news, I say in quotations, um, 
that, especially with this COVID pandemic, I would say that's changed it even more so and made it even more difficult because people feel like they're getting their information from something that's not a credible news source. And they say, why aren't you reporting that? And you have to always try to keep your cool because you don't want things to escalate, but it's difficult because you never know when someone's going to be angry. Someone might approach you seeming like the nicest person. And then they all of a sudden say they hate the news and they hate everything you do. And you have to just smile it off and either pack up and tell the producer, hi, you know, we can't go live tonight, unfortunately, which has happened. Or you just hope that person goes away, which has happened as well. It's just definitely a difficult environment that was not the case when I first started. How much did the COVID pandemic impact your job? Did you have periods where you had to be staying at home? Are you pretty much as a reporter, an essential worker, and you're out there regardless? How, how was that for you? It was a mix of both. So we are considered essential workers here in LA. So we are able to go out, especially in the beginning when it was completely shut down. We were still able to go out and talk to people if people were outside, but there weren't a lot of people outside. So we've worked remotely and we're still doing a lot of remote work. We do a lot of Zoom interviews now. And that's been something that is also good and bad because with LA traffic, you realize, oh, this is a lot more convenient versus trying to drive to you in the amount of time. But at the same time, you miss part of that human connection doing a Zoom interview, obviously. But I think these are things that are gonna stay with us post-pandemic, some of these tools, us working from home. We are remote in the field, so we don't report to the station anymore. We start at home and we get on a call, a Zoom meeting with everyone and pitch story ideas for the day. And then the reporters and photographers also drive separately and they cover our mileage is how that works. So you meet your photographer wherever the story is of the day and you go from there. But sometimes the reporter will start from home doing Zoom interviews and then you meet the photographer later in the field. It just kind of depends. And like I said, I think these are methods that will probably stick around post-pandemic because to a certain extent, it is more efficient versus going to the station just to leave back out. So you're in LA now. How was that transitioning from Detroit out to LA? And how did that come about? So I did four years in Detroit, three and a half to be exact. And after my experience in Detroit, well, I'll start from the beginning. So one of my internships during college was in LA. And I have an aunt who lives out here. So it worked out being able to live with her and intern for the NBC local station here. And that was an eye-opening experience for me at the time in college. And I remember saying, one day I'm going to live in LA. So when I was applying for jobs in that last year of my contract for Detroit, I was very focused on California. I knew I wanted to try just to cover different type of, of news. It's, you know, obviously cross country, but I know there are different types of stories out here too. And I was really intrigued by that. Even fires 
you know, what is that like covering, covering a fire? And then my news director out here is amazing. She's just incredible, a very supportive news director. And so talking with her in the interview, I just knew she was someone I wanted to work for. And having this experience out here has been interesting because we moved out here and then the pandemic happened a week later, everything shut down. So it's like, you're trying to learn the community and what matters to the community while you're in a shutdown. So that was difficult, but it's just been outside of Wood TV. I would say this is the station where I'm just the most happy. I, I feel fulfilled. I like what I'm doing. And I really feel like I'm able to contribute and tell good stories here. And it's exciting to try to learn a different way of living that's out here as well. Maybe it's too soon to ask what's next because you haven't been there that long when you haven't been on COVID lockdown. Uh, but where do you see your career going? What's, what's your end goal or five-year, 10-year plan if you have one? And that's always an interesting question for me because it changes every job that I've had. I've noticed that like, I used to be like, oh, I wanna be here or there. And then you realize that your career just ends up taking you somewhere else. And where I am right now, like you said, I haven't been here that long, but I'm really happy in my position. And I could see myself staying here and trying to settle here and creating relationships in the community here to tell stories. But it's also always hard to tell. You never know where your career will end up taking you if you meet someone else who says, oh, well, how, you know, come work for us. It's, you just never know. But I will say that I am very happy where I am. So if our students are listening or potential students are listening and they want to follow in your footsteps, what's your advice for them? My best advice is to never give up. Don't let anyone tell you that you can't do this, that you won't be successful in this career because you will. As long as you have a passion for storytelling and the news, that's going to get you through some of the tough times, some of the struggles, because not every newsroom is inviting or welcoming or comfortable at times, but as long as you have that passion and drive to tell good stories, you're going to make it through and you're, you're going to be fulfilled. It's such a fulfilling industry. Like I said, it can be tough, especially in the beginning, but it's just so rewarding if you stick with it and if you truly love what you do. What are some of your proudest moments in your career? I think Dateline is one of my proudest moments just because I love Dateline. I've always watched it. So it was very cool to see that process and how it all comes together. Another proud moment was winning an Emmy for writing was the category. And I entered a number of different stories that I was most proud of my writing. And winning that award was, was one of my proudest moments because it's not this, you don't get into this industry for awards, but it was very rewarding because it was a sense of, I did do a good job writing those stories, you know, and, and to be recognized does feel good, even though you're not going to get an award for every story you do. And sometimes you submit and think you do such a good job and you don't get that nomination. And it doesn't mean that it wasn't a good story, but 
I would say that that was still one of my proudest moments. Yeah, that's great. Congratulations. Thanks. That's awesome. <laughs> Do you run into many CMU folks or BCA grads in the field as you've been making the rounds of these different markets? I did, especially in Michigan. So at Wood TV, we had a couple of CMU grads and at the Detroit station we did as well. And that's always fun too, because you are able to talk about the BCA program and most people who graduated from CMU are people who knew they wanted to do this for a very long time. So it's very fun to see them succeed as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great to talk to you. Yes, it's been great talking to you as well. It's always just nice catching up with people and sharing the experience. That's another episode of Depth of Field, a production of the School of Broadcast and Cinematic Arts at Central Michigan University. Thanks to my engineer, Michael Pawarski, and my producer, Allison Biss. I'm Patty Williamson. Thanks for joining us.